This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the holy old city of Jerusalem, Asha Torah. Right across from the Temple Mount. Oh, here comes our water. Yes, Mati. Thank you so much. Can I, can I have a special delivery up here? Thank you. And cups. Oh my gosh. I'll take two cups actually, just so I don't have to pour in the middle of the class. Sorry, anyone watching this live. And you guys should know I'm ignoring this camera. Unless like what happened yesterday where I got a, someone came online that's like a friend of mine from high school. And that was, I mean, when was I in high school? Like 30 years ago. So I could not give a shout out to that person. So, um, Oh, you're bringing... Oh, thanks so much. What's your name? Scott. Scott. Have I met you, Scott? You have not. You seem so familiar. Welcome, Scott. Where are you from? California. Right on. Who? You're from California? Where are you from in California? San Francisco. Right on. No, you're not. Which city? It's called Hillsborough. Where are you from in the city? Wow. San Francisco. Amazing. I was just watching the news that Elf canceled its nonstop to San Francisco. Till next May. Yeah, that was cool. Huh? They, uh, they're out of planes. Because I guess the plane got damaged. That was the San Francisco plane. On the runway it got damaged. But they're, they're just saying forget about it till next May. Yeah. Next May. That's a long time. It is me. <laughs> I don't know what they meant by that. No, because it said half a year, but then I realized it said next May. That's a year. Okay, everyone, listen up. There was this amazing kid who was the most beautiful child amongst a family of other, you know, with four, there were three other kids in the home. And this kid was an amazing kid in that the kid was so conscientious. He just would like take care of everybody. He took care of parents, took care of the other kids. He was, if he saw any of his siblings crying, he was running with tissue. He was, you know, just a loving kid. And he, uh, he was at school one day and, you know, he was about seven years old and, and there he was playing with his friends, except when he found his friends playing, he saw that what they were playing with was the teacher's wallet. That's something they should have had on the playground. But there they were with the teacher's wallet. And then they were playing. Everyone had a different card. And they were playing like, you know, like, you know, purchase this and purchase that. And, you know, and he had his driver's license. So he could, like, give ID and stuff. And they're all sitting in a circle playing with the teacher's wallet. Um, anyway, what happened was the teacher came onto the playground looking for his wallet. And all the kids saw him in the distance and scrambled. And they, they just scrammed. But the one kid, who's our f- kid in the story, uh, whose name was Steve, he, uh, little Stevie, was not facing that direction. So he couldn't figure out where everyone went. And then the rabbi, the, rabbi, the, the teacher comes up, and there's Stevie with the wallet and all the cards spread out everywhere, because each kid dropped his card in their spot. And he's holding his driver's license. And... He is so busted. And the wallet's put back together. They bring Stevie back to class. And they're in class. Stevie's called right up, stands on the, has, makes him stand on his desk and tells all the kids that this is what happens 
to a thief. And then just starts pounding him on the behind. And the kids are like, whoa. And Stevie's falling apart. Just completely unraveling in this experience. Now, Stevie was always a good kid, but, uh, but at this point it didn't seem to pay. So... And also, in those developmental years, Stevie kind of felt evil. Like, wow, you know, I'm this evil kid. And then he grows up to become this kind of gangster teenager who's uh, getting into lots of trouble and, like, juvenile detentions, every kind of problem's coming his way. I mean, it's just all finding him. And um, now, have any of you... uh, Oh, sorry, in his teenage years... He winds up in a, you know, in a, in a hit, but he was already 18. The other kids were like 17. And they were doing a little kind of hit to, you know, whatever they had to do. And, in, and someone got killed in the process. And, uh, and so all the kids were implicated in murder, only he was 18. And so the other kids went more juvie, and he went to jail for, for 15 years. Have any of you listening to this story given up on Stevie? Anyone given up on Stevie? By the way, he did not pull the trigger also. He was not the one who killed him. Anyone, who, anyone give up on him? Who believes in him? Who believes in Stevie? I want to show you hands. Only you? Sure. Who believes in Stevie? You believe in Stevie? She's like not so sure. You believe in Stevie? No? You do? Do you guys believe in Stevie? Now imagine you came into that movie. That was a movie. Imagine you walked into the movie right when the Stevie's tying the guy up. You know, he wound up dying. I mean, they, they weren't trying to kill him, but in the end they did. And Stevie's job was tying the kid up. And uh, imagine you were late to the film and you're just meeting a friend at the movies and you come into the movie and you see this kid and other kids tying up this other guy and the guy dies and now you're in the court case and the kid hears under your breath your friend who came in late to the theater hears under your breath come on Stevie, come on come on Stevie and your friend looks over at you like... What is wrong with you? Like, you're, you're voting for the murderer? Like, you want this case to go... The kid tied up a guy wound up dying in, like, an hour later. And you're, you're... Why are you rooting for them? And you, like, lean over to your friend. You're like, you don't understand. <laughs> you, you just don't understand. And you'd be like... He, they'd be like, you don't understand. Like, what, what's wrong with you? But meanwhile, the person, your friend who came late to the movies, like, looking around the theater going like... Everyone's rooting for Stevie. And you can tell just by the music in the jail, the way the soundtrack of the film is playing, that it's, we like Stevie somehow. But of course, they missed the beginning. And so did the jury. And so did the judge. And so did the cops. And so did the juvenile detention people. And so did the rabbi who found him with the wallet. Did I call it a rabbi? I can't stop saying that because I... I t- the- all my years of outreach, I've only taught very secular people. But in the last 10 years, 
uh, not 10 years, maybe last eight years, my clientele has, our clientele has slowly turned totally observant. So whenever I have a story of a kid, it's always a kid with a rabbi. But it's because uh, it's, you know, my, my students these days are from observant backgrounds. Can I get a show of your hand who was raised uh, keeping Shabbat and stuff like that? Okay. Just most of you. Now, um, anyway, in the jail, the end of the movie is that in the jail, uh, Stevie's doing a lot of reading and eventually gets to this book that lets him, that like teaches that who we wind up being is often based on circumstantial stories. But that's not who we really are, at which point Stevie looks at this page of this book and he's like, I've been living in a story. I'm like, I've been trapped in a story that happened to me when I was seven on a playground, which I was like of the most innocent people there. I was the last kid in the circle. I was just playing with the teacher's wallet, you know, with the other kids. And I've been on this downhill, downward spiral ever since. And next thing you know, Mr. Amazing Conscientious Stevie becomes the tzaddik of the jail. And he winds up becoming this amazing teacher and helper. And and just whenever someone comes into the jail and is all broken up about having been put in jail, he comes and cares for him. And he becomes this, like, motivational speaker. And he has access to more and more books and just becomes a world-class motivational speaker until he has reformed an entire jail. And what happens in the end of the movie is you love everyone in the jail because every single person in there, they had to be in jail because they committed crimes, but every single person in the jail you're in love with, you just think is the greatest thing that ever happened, you would trust them with your own life. You'd trust them with your own life. Like the, everyone in that jail, you would trust with your own life. You'd, you'd give them 100 bucks and say, can you put this in my bank account for me? 100 bucks cash. Yeah, do you mind putting this in my Chase account? Like, that's what you would do with every single person in that jail. Because Stevie found that, that beautiful person in each person. So what's your story? What's your story? I mean, you're not in jail. <laughs> so, obviously, your story isn't, I'm an evil criminal thief. That's not your story. But what is your story? And what you'll notice is stories are generally twofold. There's the story about me, and then there's the story I tell everyone else about me. So, you have your own story. That's your secret story. Like, one story is, I'm an absolute idiot. And then you'll find that that guy or girl will always be the smartest person in class. Meaning, I'm an absolute idiot. For someone who really is an idiot, so they'll do other things. But someone who's actually smart but believes they're an idiot will always be the smartest person in class. They're going to be the genius. So you get how we always have two stories? The person who's ugly will usually be the most glamorous. Sorry, if the stories they're ugly will be the most glamorous, if they, in fact, like nothing in the world they could do would ever make them glamorous, 
So then you'll find that person usually obese at one point or another, just to say to the whole world, like, I'm not even trying. Like, meaning, my, I'm going to have my stories matched. <laughs> I'm ugly and I'm ugly. But generally you'll find that the ugliest person is the most glamorous person, meaning ugly within her own heart and will be the most glamorous. And that's why you'll see that she'll always be involved in relationships where she's greatly cheapened in the interaction between her and others. Greatly cheapened in the name of love. But if you love me, I would be raised, not lowered. But you'll notice that she gets, she gets tremendously lowered in all her relationships. She just comes out lower and lower every time she interacts with someone, which is crazy because the person that she's interacting with is professing love. But a smart girl would be able to predict, like, wait a second, if I say yes to this guy, I'm going to be for sure categorically lowered by this experience. And so what kind of love would put me in a categorically lower place? I mean, that's pretty strange love. So therefore, what's wrong with me that that would even be the slightest lure? Why would that be the slightest lure that me going category lower, someone professing love that's going to put me categorically lower, why would I even have the slightest inclination toward that man? And the answer would obviously be the inner story. The inner story is that I'm, uh, maybe perhaps the word worthless would come up, that I'm worthless. And so I'm willing to take some worth for even a few hours. Even if it means my ultimate demise, I'll take some worth. Now I'm giving extreme examples, but I'm asking you for yourselves just listening to this. What is your inner and what is your outer? What's your inner story and what's your outer story? And then to be able to ask yourself the question, and this is the basic question for anyone into growth, for anyone into personal growth, is ask yourself the basic question, is that story what? what don't answer it because he knows the answer. Is that story, I mean, you have to come to that question of is that story what? is that story about me, meaning my inner story and all the personality I developed for the outer story. Is that story true? True. Thank you. Is that story true? And at the beginning of this class, I spoke about the movie with Stevie in it. By the way, I wrote that screenplay. Well done. Yeah, on the spot last week in front of a group of men that I was training in uh, personal growth work. I have a personal growth company and I was training them and I wrote that story. Didn't I write it with you? That yeah. group? Yeah. So you like the story, by the way? It's a pretty cool story. Yeah. The majority of the film is all the personal growth motivational speaking that changes everyone in the theater. But the, the, it's a cool screenplay. Yeah. Anyone wants it, just please, I don't know, give me some kind of credit or something. Just send me the millions of dollars. Please. So... Anyway, what Stevie broke through in that story was the fact that the story wasn't actually true. The story wasn't true at all. And none of us bought the story because we saw the beginning of the movie. The person who came in the middle of the movie, who just kind of walked in and saw the court case, or saw the murder and then the court case, they for sure believed the story. 
but none of us ever bought it. But has there ever been a child who wasn't just the most beautiful thing in the world, like perfectly full of endless, endless potential, total possibility? Was there ever a child who wasn't pure? Was there ever a child who wasn't total love and connection and intimacy and the most amazing child you ever met? Every little toddler is just the most incredible thing ever. Yes, they have this part of them that, that is called the Yetzirah, goes towards evil, but that's what makes life meaningful. <laughs> There's no such thing as, as being anybody. You can't become anybody without some evil. You know, without evil. You're, we all have such a negative reaction to evil, but we're only who we are because of evil. You have evil to thank for how special you are. Because evil's what has made your choice to be a good person. Someone who showed up here in Jerusalem to learn Torah. Like, what are you guys doing in here? And the answer is you're exercising certain power here over a side of you that says, let's just disappear. Let's just fall into some other YouTube video or just uh, disappear from the earth in whatever ways you disappear. And uh, we're saying, no, I'm not going to disappear. I'm going to appear here in this class right now. Or, you know, these people watching, Yitzhak, it's Finch. Oh, my gosh, that's a person for the mess. The people watching here. <laughs> we went to Yeshiva together. He was the coolest guy ever. It's Finch. So, PhD. So, um, we're, there's nothing wrong with your evil inclination. In fact, your evil inclination is really your best friend. Because all of your reward for your life here will be only based on the choice away from the Yetzirah, away from the evil inclination. So Yetzirah is really your best friend. The problem is sometimes we actually believe it. You know, we let it hijack us. But uh, a person who's, uh, you know, clear with his or herself will know that the the biddings of the Yetzirah are just to earn reward and nothing else, just the reward. Not to be listened to, just to be. It's just money in the bank. Spiritual spiritual investments are made through the Yetzirah. Without it, you wouldn't have anything. You know the word Yetzirah, yeah, Scott? Okay. Cool. So... Yeah. Which word? Yetzirah. You know that word? Can you say it with the Israeli? Like that, it's so funny. That Are you a Hebrew speaker? First, yeah. Yeah. Yetz, Yetzerah. Ah, thank you. Yetzerah Hatov, Yetzerah. I just told a friend that, uh, like, Hebrew words that you guys say, and only, only, only afterwards when you explain it in English, I understand the Hebrew word you just said. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. I know that's all our words. And, and I, here we learn, we can learn, like, pages of the most complicated Talmudic law and and incredible writings of like Rishonim from a thousand years ago that we can read and explain and swim in. But then we open up an Israeli newspaper and you can't make sense of it. It, it makes no sense. It's it's completely unintelligible to read a just a daily periodical. An Israeli newspaper makes no sense. And the news, we can't listen to the news. It doesn't it just doesn't mean anything. It's like Chinese. When they when they when they do the news, they used to have a newspaper for Olim, with like all the basic Hebrews, so at least you could carry on a proper conversation at a dinner party or something. 
and they even had a couple Olim uh, radio shows to hear the news. Yeah, I know it's funny that I like Hebrew words that you even already know. I have a friend who didn't know, like, they asked him, Are you coming to Mincha? He didn't understand just because they didn't say Mincha. Mincha. Right, Mincha. Mincha. Okay, let's, let's keep moving. So, so the question is for you right now is, what is what's your story? What's your inner story? What's your outer story? And what would your life be like with no story? Like, what? What would your life be like if you had no story? There was no storyline that you, you know, had to kind of follow its dictates. What if you were free from stories? Who would you be? What if you were totally story free? All the story that's made you who you are and like who would, who would your friends be all of a sudden? What would you be up to with no story? Can you imagine having no story? Meaning, you, I'm not saying you don't have a life story. You still have your life story. But none of those stories meant, mean anything anymore about you. So who would you be? And what would be, what would, what would be your potential? What would, what would all of a sudden become possible? without a story. Maybe uh, you would have a possibility. Well, let's hear from you guys. What becomes possible without your story? Everyone give a shot. No story. What's, your, what's possible for you? Limitless. Okay. Limitless? Infinity, yeah. What? Infinity. Yeah. Okay. What do you got? What's your name? Sorry. All right. What do you got? No, no more story. Of everything that happened to you, family dynamics, all the personality you created for to just deal with that. What if all of that was gone? And, but yet you're here with a heartbeat, fully vital, brain working away, heart beating strong, lungs breathing beautifully. Like, what now? What now without that story? Yes? You can move forward without the guilt of not being the person you think you should be. So let me review that. Move forward without any guilt of... Do you not living up to your own expectations or your own story? Mm. Okay. It would be a release of guilt. Yeah? I don't know if it's necessarily a positive thing. It's probably... You wouldn't have a sense of direction. You wouldn't know where to go. You wouldn't have a... a people need a, a guide in life where they have history. So then that leads them to... to that the motivates them. Right, so they may be kind of like paralyzed. Where, where would ambition come from? Like, oh, I don't have to be the smartest anymore. I don't have to be the most glamorous anymore. I don't have to be popular. Or... You need to have a story to change. To change? But right now we're saying without that story, so what would motivate me? Any answers? For, any answers? What, what, if you don't have a story, what, what would motivate you now? You hear what's, what I'm saying? Like, you've been, your story is what keeps you in the game. Of course, there's a lot of other people whose stories have wiped them out. But, but for at least the people in this room, it could be your story is what's kept you kind of going. What if you didn't have your story? Now what keeps you going? Doing mitzvot, doing chesed. Okay. 
living a Jewish life. That doesn't require any stories. <laughs> Meaning you still got to do chesed, you got to do mitzvahs, learn Torah, tefillah. Okay, so, so far we got you frumed up now. You're like nice dati, yeah? Like you're doing mitzvahs. Okay, great. So I don't have a story, so nothing's motivating me in particular, but I've got my tefillin on. What else? Yeah. Okay, well, that's part of the no motivation is I'm just going to chill on the beach, fall asleep, get a sunburn, and spend the next three days in my hotel room with skin cream on. But, yeah, that's what you were saying, though, ultimately, is how do we make sure we're not just drinking pina coladas on the beach? Both. That's what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. If your story turns out not to be true, so then the internal and the external are no longer so relevant. Societal expectation. What are you saying? Like you're not going to go to the bathroom on the sidewalk? Yeah, it's still like an expectation to get a job and be a person. Okay, what job do you get? It wouldn't even matter. Like, just work for Starbucks. What? We're saying just when, if you realize that the story of who you thought you were wasn't true and all the things you did to compensate for that, to sh- you know, is no, therefore that's, the reaction to something not true is also not true necessarily. So now if none of that's real, so what motivates me? And so she's saying, well, you got to still work. He's saying, so who said, uh, you said, you got to still be a Jew. What if you're a Gentile? <laughs> you're back on the beach with pina coladas. What? Motivation. Yeah, but now you do, and you realize that you're just, you're just pure. What are you? What What are you without a story? Let's answer that first. But no matter what, you're going to have a story. It doesn't matter if it's like a true story or it's not a true story. It's a story. So let's say your external story isn't actually who you are, and you come to that realization, and then you do self-discovery, and then you figure out, like, what I portray to the outside world is who I am internally. That's still a part of your story. And that creates your new story. To look for the actual what story. What is the new... Yeah, what would, your, what would your new story be? What would your new story be? I mean, that's like... It, it depends who it is. It's not like one person's... Like, if I, like, project myself as an extrovert to the outside world, but really I'm introverted, mm. and then I, like, do self-discovery, and I realize, no, I'm an introvert, but I, like, try to act more sociable or whatever to everybody else, like, I have to come to that realization, accept it, and then figure it out for myself. Beautiful. Well said. Yeah. I think everyone's born without a story. And they're, just, they, they're born into their home and their society, so they're a product of their society. As they grow up, they turn to be who they, who they are because that's what makes them who they are. They don't, it's not like they come, they're born with, with something. Um, they don't have anything, but they, they're made because of their... Right. That's what, how we started the class before you walked in. And then, but if you found out later, and that story is like pretty random, it's kind of arbitrary, and therefore you don't have to really, you don't really have to pay that story homage. Fine, so then it would be like you're born again, and then again, the same situation would happen everywhere you go. Those We'd give context to a story.
Right. But it doesn't mean you necessarily have to add it to become part of your story. It could just be, you know, stuff that happened. Um, yeah, but isn't that inherently a part of your story? Your real story? Mm. You could li- you could be, you could just be te- kind of Teflon to it all, meaning you'll cry with the tragedies, you'll laugh with the joys, dance at the weddings, but stay in where I'm leading this class to, which I'm going to do right now. Where I was leading this class to was <laughs> that if you actually don't have a story, what you have is presence. Listen up. All right, you got that? If you don't have a story anymore, if your story is gone, all you get is presence. You know the word presence? Nochachut. All you're left with is presence. You're just like 100% there without any stories that become like a film between you and the world. Like you're just really there. So you're like the happiest person at a wedding. You're the saddest person at some random person's funeral. And you're, you're... like the most into Shabbat at the Kotel Friday night because you're just so there. This is not, you're not filtering anymore. Like you, you're like, you took off all of this, your filters and now you're just dancing your heart out of the Kotel. A hundred percent. You're just present. You're just present. You don't need, you're not self-reflective. You are, you are just a hundred percent there. Without your story. Now, you're looking at me incredulously because what, what then, who, well then who are you? Who are you? I mean, it sounds like you're just like this. You sound like, it sounds like you're just this receiver, receptor, lined with nerve endings. All, all nerve endings, eyes, ears, listen carefully, eyes, ears, n- nose. No, you just go with it for now. You don't agree. Eyes, ears. You can return this at the after you try it on. Every outfit is returnable. Okay? Listen, eyes, ears, nose, taste, all covered. Your body's lined with nerve endings, which are all attached to neurons, which is your cerebral cortex, which receives all the impulses. And so when you drink the beer you taste the beer while someone else in his story is like having this macho moment with his beer you're not having any macho moment you are just experiencing the taste of that beer dancing off the receptors and at the wedding while someone else is self-conscious while dancing suddenly like your limbs are like moving and you find yourself suddenly in the center because you just got to move and of course you're just free because you're just totally at the wedding. Like you're like more at the wedding than anybody at the wedding. In fact, in fact, you were supposed to be at the wedding next door. It was two halls in this place and they're just sitting down in the meal. But this place, the bride and groom just came out and everyone was dancing with the band. And you were like, you went to wash your hands before the meal and you just were like, I'll eat in a minute. I'm going to dance over there. And so who, and the family's all like, who is this? Like, this This must be like some special friend of theirs that no one ever knew about. You know, maybe they went to college together. I don't know who this person is. You know, everyone's trying to figure out why is this person so ecstatic? And the answer is because they don't have a story. 
They don't have a story. Now, what is el- What else is there? What else is there if you don't have a story? So the, uh, there's another thing. Not only are you totally present, once I'm, I'm going to go to you guys again, but I just took it for a while because I, I had you guys going for a while. Now I'm going a bit. What else is there is, is something in Hebrew called kochot nefesh, which you had mentioned before. Introvert, extrovert, like you have actual personality details that are, had I, had I met you as a toddler, they would have been there. You see, someone in their outer story might have become an extrovert, like you were saying, what's your name? Nagian. Nagian? With an N? That Nagian was saying before, like, you could have been playing a total extrovert, but meanwhile, coming out of a social events exhausted, because you're not really an extrovert. But that had to be part of your outer story, maybe something to do with the family, like you were from these extroverted parents who kind of said you're a loser if you're not, like, the life of a party or something. So, so... What's left is your actual true personality that perfectly would match the toddler. So suddenly you got your toddler back that you've been betraying. You've betrayed your toddler for the last however many years, depending on how old you are. So if you're 20, you've betrayed your toddler for 18 years. If you're 35, you've been betraying your toddler for 33 years. But suddenly you have what's called kochos and nefesh which is all the personality traits. And there are a lot of them. I've raised many toddlers. I've had eight toddlers through my home. You know, I got to enjoy each one completely. And they were very different. Each one was so different than the next. And they, and they uh, but I watched the school system try to homogenize them, you know, in, their, in our, you know, lovely Bejakov system here. Um, but I'm sure Sarah Schneer had no intention for that to be happening. But nevertheless, they, have, they were kind of homogenized a bit. And I find our home to be where I do damage control. And I try to fan the, the flames of their spirit that I knew when they were two. And to, and to make sure the two-year-old's still shining through as best as I can. And of course, it's an uphill battle. And I'm not winning, but... But I, I will always do my best to, to reserve and preserve to preserve the toddler that has been so squelched into, you know, something that some system feels, some, that some minahelit or minahel can sleep better at night, you know, because I can understand if I were in charge of five thousand girls, I also would want the least variation possible, so I could sleep at night. My job is to honor the variation as a father. I'm here to honor their variations. It's what I've been calling lately the new normal. I've got this term I've been using. I'm hoping it'll become uh, popular. It's called the new normal. For this whole system I spoke about, the Froom system, is uh, there was something called normal. It's like a whole idolatry around the word normal. Like, be normal. And, like, our family's normal. And you all have to walk around like you're normal. Meanwhile, have you ever met a normal family? You ever met one family with like where everyone's normal? <laughs> it doesn't exist. There's no family where everyone's whatever they call normal because whatever they call normal has nothing to do with reality of the world. So there actually is a movement. Uh, one of the people, one of the outspoken people in the movement is in Borough Park. His name's uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Frankfurter, who is uh, the editor of the Ami magazine. 
And he's like a big proponent of the new normal. The new normal is let's be real and like realize there's great variation with each person and there's lots of colors in the, in the uh, expression of life. That was parenthetical. But getting back to us is that when you drop your story, you suddenly, your whole body, all those nerve endings, get linked up in a massive way to your cerebral cortex. You become filterless, and you are totally able to USB cable interface with the world around you. And what you then discover is that the toddler in you, with all the different personality traits, introvert, extrovert's only one of many personality traits, with all your personality traits, all of a sudden is ignited, and you get to do teshuva. I call this teshuva. There's a very deep definition of teshuva. And that definition of teshuva is, <laughs> what's the word teshuva mean literally? Return. Is that you actually, what I, what I call teshuva in this case, I'm not talking about Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur is a teshuva in doing. It's for the things you did. That's Yom Kippur. Teshuva for what you did this, and you did that, and you did the other. This is a teshuva not in doing. It's a teshuva in... It's a teshuva in being. What we're talking about here is a teshuva in being. In that I'm returning to that incredible child that I was as a little kid. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I am... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm intolerant. I mean, I've become intolerant to being anyone but who I truly was created to be. I'm intolerant to that. I have a low threshold of tolerance for me being someone other than who God made me. And I'm not playing anybody's games. And I'm not, I'm nobody's fool. And I'm not going to sell out to what anyone wants me to be because who I am is, in the end, I'm a Jew with an obligation to keep Shulchan Aruch, and I'm a, and I'm a person with unique kochot nefesh character traits that God gave me. And when I put that together, three things, sorry. When I put together total presence, meaning total access to the experience around me, meaning full experience living. I'm a Jew who keeps Shulchan Aruch. I'm part of a tribe, and I align my life with the things that that tribe does, and I avoid the things that tribe is commanded to avoid. And lastly is I've got kochos and nefesh, and I'm going to have to answer for that upstairs. And so I'm going to finish... Is it for yet? I'm going to finish this class with, with uh, the fact that every single person is born with a hook in his mouth. Every man and woman, every baby is born with a hook in her mouth or his mouth. The fisherman already caught you, but he's letting you swim for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. He's letting you swim. When you fish, I've been fishing for like, you know, big fish. And when you catch a big fish, your line can easily break. And so when it's fighting, 
And so what you have to do is kind of let out line. And you have, uh, you know what the cog's called on a reel that lets out the line? Uh, anyway, whatever. It makes noise coming. Okay. It makes a noise so you can listen. The fish is fighting. Give him, give him some slack. Let him. If someone wants to run away from God, God's like, you already got a hook in your mouth. I'm chill. If your fish is running away, you're not getting nervous. You're just sipping your Coors Light and listening to your reel. Giving out line. God doesn't get nervous when someone goes away from him. Someone chooses that they'd rather live in Vegas than, uh, than Flatbush. You know, that God's like, you want some line? Take some line. I'm, I'm cool. The hook's already in your mouth. Now, smart people who realize they already got a hook in their mouth like to hang around Jerusalem. Because <laughs> it's cool to hang around the boat. Because, you know, you never know. The fishermen might just chuck over a couple extra worms or something, you know. You get some good stuff hanging around Jerusalem, you know. Being around the boat's cool. Why, why go anywhere else? You're in the palace of the king. You know, you're hanging out near the, near the fishermen. Good place to be. I, I, haven't, I don't go far from here. You know, the most I leave from Jerusalem is like two weeks, maybe. And after two weeks, people are like, Oh, we wish you could stay in our community. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> I don't. You know, I'm really cool for like two weeks. You know, I'm like the spiritual rabbi, but your city would gobble me up in a second because um, Jerusalemites don't have the spiritual muscles of people who live in, in the exile. Like, you're from Scottsdale? <laughs> in Scottsdale, you need muscles. We don't have those muscles. We're, we're, to us, Judaism's organic. We are in our ancestral heritage. We're, sorry, in the land of our ancestral heritage. So Judaism is the most organic thing in the world. You don't have the kind of muscles that, that people who live in Scottsdale have to keep Judaism. So people are always like, Rabbi, can't you stay another week? I'm like, that would be really bad. <laughs> like, I'm at, I've hit my peak of you know, spirituality in your town. You know, I, I'm getting back on my LL flight. I'm getting back to the palace. Anyway, so we all hang around the boat of God. And... What happens is, at the end of your life, God reels you in, no matter how far away you are. Everyone gets reeled in. He's just reeling you in, reeling you in. You get up there, he takes the hook out of your mouth so you can speak. It's kind of hard to talk with a hook in your mouth. And God says to you, tell me, were you Jewish? And hopefully the answer is yes. I was keeping all the shulchan aruch, and I, I dotted my I crossed my T's, I... Avoided, you know, run-on sentences, meaning negative commandments, I avoided. And I did everything right, or as much as I could do right. And whatever I didn't do right, I did tshuva last Yom Kippur. So I think I'm okay, Jewish. And then you know what he asked you after he asked if you were Jewish? You know what he asks you? Drum roll. Were you Jewish? And if the answer is that you've been dancing at some stupid story because of some dynamic in your family's home or because of your sibling order or because of your, your embarrassing moment you had in school when you were seven or, or, you know, whatever happened to you that you thought was who you were and all the personality you developed around it, including, ready for this, this is going to get really scary, including a lot of the good stuff you did to let everyone know how good you are, that you're not that bad person. 
which is not why we do good things. We do good things because there's a God, not because you're dealing with some stupid story from your childhood. Because the only currency in the world of emis, in the world of truth, is whatever you do, be-emis, whatever you do with truth. You do something with truth, you got currency. It's going to be worth something. You do something because of some stupid story. So you get upstairs, you'll find out you've got the wrong currency. It's like when I go to Starbucks in JFK, when I get there, I often try to pay with shekels. I just want to feel the burn. I want to feel the burn of having done stuff with the wrong currency. And she's like, well, we don't accept that kind of money here, honey. And I was like, it's shekels, what's wrong with shekels? She's like, she's like, you better pull out some dollars or you ain't going to drink this coffee. And I'm like, okay. Now give her a 10. My wife hates it when I do that. But the, but I just want to feel the burn of like having lived some stupid story and then thinking I'm going to cash in upstairs with all my Torah study I did. Why did I do all that Torah study? Because I felt like a dunce because I was the fourth boy in a row in my family. And when I was five, I said, well, I'll show them when I'm seven. Except what? My older brother was nine. And when I'm nine, I'll show them. And then my older brother was 11. And then all those brothers went into work, but I showed them. I became a Talmud Chochem. I became a Rav Kihila. And I'm going to march into heaven to the biggest giant marching band there ever was. Ticker tape parade. Only to get up there and find yourself with just the echo of your own voice. Because you're in some stupid story and then God shows you what you were supposed to do with your life. Now, hopefully, you were doing the right thing anyway. <laughs> you know, I don't want to paint such a horrific story. Hopefully, like, you were meant to be a rub, only you were supposed to be a rub for the right reasons. And that's why it's empty. But what if you had a totally different... What if that little child in you... What if that child in you, your true, your true sense of... Your true kochos anefesh, kochot anefesh, your true self, would have been so much better applied to some other area of life. So that when God pulled the hook out, you could say, yes, I was Jewish. And I used my strengths. As opposed to coming up with some other scenario that was some scenario you got stuck in because of something that happened to you when you were a kid or something. I'm so late, it's my fault. Thank you very much, everybody. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.